Hi, Chris Felton here. Welcome to my podcast where we hope to inspire you to transform the world within you and transform the world around you. Over the next several months, we're going to take a journey through the years of messages that I've spoken in the last decade that are both memorable, monumental, and I think marking to both me and the global family. I'm excited to share this message with you today. I pray the Lord ministers to you as you listen. God bless you. I thought I'd just read to you. You may have heard this before because I've read it many times, but I think it kind of sets the pace for what we're doing this whole week, but especially for tonight. And it's on page 11 if you, uh, if you have it with you tonight. In the days of the prophet Elijah, there arose a company of men who were called the sons of the prophets. These men traveled throughout the world, ravaging the powers of darkness and wreaking havoc on evil kingdoms. They had no tolerance for the destructive behavior of wicked kings, but rather turned many back to righteousness. They raised the dead, healed the sick, parted rivers, destroyed false prophets, and saw revival spread through their land. They were feared by many and respected by all. They walked in great purity, and God was their friend. Today, all around us, wickedness continues to grow, taking root in the lives of those we love and eroding the very foundation of our country. Satanism is spreading like wildfire. Psychics laugh in the face of the church as they demonstrate the power of the dark side. Divorce is destroying our families and violence is corrupting our children. Sickness and disease take the lives of so many, yet the words of our Lord Jesus echo through the halls of history. These signs will follow those who believe. And greater works shall you do when I go to be with the Father. In the book of Acts, chapter 3, verse 25, Peter says, It is you, it is you, it is you who are the sons of the prophets. It is time for the body of Christ to rise up and receive our inheritance. We must rid ourselves of complacency and restore the ancient boundaries of holiness and demonstrations of great power. We cannot be satisfied with illustrated sermons, great music, and friendly services. We have been called to see the powers of darkness destroyed and our ruined cities restored. In the days of Moses, God demonstrated his power to Pharaoh, but Pharaoh counterattacked by having his sorcerers duplicate the miracles of God. Then the God of heaven, who has all power, performed extraordinary miracles, so that even the sorcerers said, This must be God. We cannot perform these miracles. Finally, Pharaoh was overcome by God's power and let his people go. I believe that the Pharaoh of the sage is about to let go of our cities as God demonstrates his raw power through his church. We're in the midst of the greatest revival in human history, yet there remains a distance between what should be and what will be. That distance is you. We just talked about that a few minutes ago. What will you be? You are the bridge between history and his story. You are the sons of the prophets. The sick, the demonized, the poor, the blind, the lame, and the lost are all waiting to see what you've learned. Don't disappoint them. That's a good, that's a good word for tonight. Who did I? Thank you very much. I want to just kind of go back to the teaching we started with this morning and uh, talk about the gift of prophecy and the, different, uh, the difference between the gift of prophecy and, and the office of a prophet and kind of lay a foundation for what we're going to be doing the rest of the week. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which we, we kind of just tasted this morning a little bit, we see that there are, um, verse 4 says, There are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are a variety of ministries, but the same Lord. You should have these notes in your um, notebook. It should be the first few pages of your notes. Um, just the only thing I want to pick up from this scripture right here is that the gift of prophecy, in fact, let me just go to 1 Corinthians 14, and we'll, we'll read the first few verses of that. Verse 1, Pursue love. Yet earnestly desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Everybody say, especially, especially. That, you may prophesy. that you may prophesy. 
Um, I wanted to stop for a minute and say this. First of all, a lot of people want, they say, well, they want the character of God. But we are also commanded to earnestly desire, and that word earnestly desire is the word lust. We are to lust after the spiritual gifts, and it isn't a suggestion, it's a commandment. And so for us to not be flowing in the gifts of the Spirit means that we've disobeyed the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's interesting to me, in, in John, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, in the book of Mark, verse, uh, chapter 16, you know these verses well, Jesus says this, He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. Okay, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. The next verse, the very next verse says, And these are the signs of those who believe. They shall cast out demons, they shall heal the sick, they shall, you know the story, right? I was, I was, at, a, um, I was at a particular place, and I, was, and I read, these are the, the uh, no, he who, he who is baptized, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. I says, everyone believe that, everyone raised their hand, of course. I said, and I said, let's read the next verse, let's see what Jesus means by believing. <laughs> and the next verse says, these are the signs of those who believe. And then I asked him a question. Is there enough evidence in your life to convict you of being a Christian? Because it says, these are the signs. See, he who is baptized and believes shall be saved. These are the signs of those who believe. This is what Jesus means by believing. He doesn't mean that you have some, some philosophical agreement with this theological statement. He means that you can do these things. Jesus always attaches the ability to do with believing. You with me? So I said to them, do you have enough evidence to convict you of being a Christian in the courts of heaven? So it is, it's incongruent to say, I believe, but I can't minister. It doesn't say, these signs will follow the, 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 the apostles who believe. It doesn't say, these signs will follow the mature Christians who believe. It says, these are the signs that follow those who believe enough to be saved. So the point is, is that we, as the prophetic people, as the prophets... We need to be equipping people because he says, especially that you would prophesy. He, he, he calls out, especially that you would prophesy. So it's part, part of what we're called to do as the prophetic people, as the prophets and prophetesses, is equip people to prophesy. Because he said, especially that you would prophesy. Now, it's important for us to realize that the gifts of the Spirit are not an award. I understand that this is Prophecy 101. We will get deeper, so please just move with me. I can see some of you are like, I got this, I got this, I got this. But it's good to hear it anyway. The the gifts of the Spirit are not awards. You don't get them because you have attained to some sort of spirituality and you have your life together and all of your character has all worked out so you can finally get the award of speaking in tongues. It's not a reward. It's not a sign that you are a mature Christian. It is a sign that you believe. Are you with me? One of the, one of the things that's happened in, our, in, in Christendom is that sometimes, as leaders, we don't, think, we don't think through our responses and we become reactors of people who, who, um, who vacillate in their Christianity and we build... How many know that when you react to a doctrine and you build a doctrine that's in reaction, typically the doctrine you build is worse than the one you're reacting to? 
And one of the things that, we, that has grieved us all is we've watched people walk in, powers, in powerful gifts and signs and wonders and miracles and maybe they, can, maybe they can get people's addresses and social security numbers. I mean, I've literally walked, I've had sons that have that level of prophetic gift. But their life is, is, is crap. It is, it's, it's, their character is shot. And, and so we begin to develop a doctrine so that people won't be powerful and have bad character. But it's not in the Bible. I was talking to somebody in um, Alabama about uh, William Branham. And they said, well, William Branham ended bad. William Branham was a heretic at the end of his life. And whether you believe that or not isn't really the point. But so was Solomon. And he got to write a book after he didn't have a relationship with God. David was a murderer and an adulteress. It doesn't mean that God was validating that, you know, just go ahead and commit adultery, you know, I'll still love you. That, that isn't the point. He's just telling the truth about his people. I mean, how about Samson? How about Hezekiah? I mean, those guys all ended bad, but they're in the book. All I'm getting at is simple. You know, do we want people to have great character? Of course we do. Of course we do. But let's not react to people whose character is bad, but they do have the power of God on them. Let's not react and build some kind of doctrine. Let's teach our people, listen, just because someone does miracles and raises the dead doesn't mean they have a great relationship with Jesus. How many of you know that great, big power and character are two separate issues? They're completely two separate issues. And one of the things that I see when I'm equipping people, I don't do equipping conferences too much anymore. Nancy does that, some of our team, just because of the reproducing thing that I talked to you about. You know, I used to do a lot of equipping conferences. Now, I've equipped people who actually, honestly, that in the whole equipping area, Nancy's a much better teacher than I am in it. She's in the trenches with the people. She's fresh and current with what's happening in the front lines with, with actually training, equipping people, because she's, I'm the grandfather, she's the, she's the mother. So she's right there with them. So, but, when I, but one of the things that I, that I would see is that I would do all this teaching for three or four days and I'd go, okay, here we go. We're going to release the gifts of the Spirit. Anybody who wants to flow in such and such, 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 come up. And all the leaders, the elders, would stand in the back. They're like, oh, I don't have quite the best care. And all the bozos would be in the front row, just like, ha, I'm going to get me some of that. And I'd leave the church and the bozos are the equipped ones and the elders are still can't do signs and wonders and miracles. And it comes from... A, a bad revelation that it's not great character that gets you that gets you moving in the spirit, and so and so what it does is it creates this ecosystem where the people who do really have great character they still don't think their character is good enough and they stand in the back, and it just validates that bozos have power and it's just like you understand what I'm trying to say right. Um, and it's like, you know, people who like, you know, they come to church once a year and they're sleeping with their girlfriend and they come up and the pastor's all. And what makes it worse is when you give them a good prophecy because the pastor wants you to correct them and you're calling things that are not as though they are because you're calling them, you're giving them grace to change. So the pastor just figures out that you don't know what you're talking about because that person's... I called the guy in the back uh, out. This is four years ago. He was in the very back row, which obviously when we're... You know, we cram a 1,200 people in here, so this gets packed. And he was way in the back on a Sunday night four years ago. I didn't even remember this until he came and told me. And, um, and in fact, he came to me about, this is about two months ago. And he said, do you remember me? I said, no. He said, you prophesied over me. I said, I'm sorry, I prophesied over thousands of people. You're, I honestly, I'm not good with names or faces, so I really don't remember you. He said, I was sitting in the back row four years ago, and you called me a holy man. I said, I remember that. 
He said, let me tell you something. He said, I was a heroin addict since I was 13. I've been in and out of rehabs. He said, I, he said, I can't count the amount of times that I've been through rehab programs. A friend drugged me to church. I was high on heroin when I got here. He said, when you got done preaching, you called me out. He said, I stood in the back. You probably didn't notice, but he says, I was shaking profusely. And you said, you're a holy man, like the holy men of old. And you gave me this prophecy about being a holy man, like the prophets of old. He said, as soon as you said that, he said, power came into me, and I got instantly delivered from heroin. I haven't touched it in four years. What he said. I got instantly delivered from heroin. I haven't touched it in four years. And he said, and he said, he said, I brought my girlfriend to you. You probably don't remember. I said, I honestly don't. He said, I was dating this girl who was in a rehab, and she'd been in there many times, and she had hepatitis C. She said, he said, you can't, when I brought her up, instead of praying for her, you prophesied over her, and you said that there will be no more signs of hepatitis C. She got totally healed from hepatitis C. We went back to the doctor. They can't even find she's ever had it, which I know you're a doctor. Like, that stays in your system, right? Isn't that true? Couldn't find she's ever had it. She said, a year ago we got married. He said, I've been working. He said, I've been in the workforce for four years. First time I've ever worked in my life. He says, I work, I've worked four years. He said, we got married a year ago, and last year we bought a house. And he said, I've been waiting all this time to tell you that story. How many know what happens when you call things that are not, when Jesus tells you, and you call things that are not as though they are? And we take dr dead, dry bones, and instead of telling, telling people that they're dead, dry bones, we call them, can these bones live? And we begin to call out, you are a mighty army. You are alive in God. It is time for you to... You get it. And we began to give people grace, and we'll talk more about that. Bill did a great job about that. Grace is the operational power of God. How many know that a prophecy isn't a prophecy because you fall down, because you sound like Shakespeare, or you, you yell, scream, or you quote Bible verses? The only thing that makes a prophecy a prophecy is that on your words, and let's say your words are red. This is your human, it's an example. Your human words are red. On the red, there's the blue. And the blue is, is grace. The blue is the ability to do what the red says. You can shake, fall down, sound like Shakespeare, be dramatic. It's all good. I like it all. Don't misunderstand me. It doesn't work in the marketplace, but I like it all. You can quote Bible verses. It doesn't make it a prophecy. The only thing that makes it a prophecy is that when you're speaking, that God releases the blue on the red. And the blue gives the, gives the, the red the ability. The blue, the, the blue makes the red available. I prophesied over this girl. I said, I see you playing guitar and, and writing songs. Before I could go on, she goes, wait, no, no, wait. You don't understand. I'm tone deaf, and I can't hold the tune in a bucket. That was her exact words. I said, lady, shut up. She said, okay. I was just teasing her. Do you know what a prophecy is? She, I, she said, no. I said, I just told her what I just told you. I said, she goes, well, just try it again on me. I said, I see you playing guitar. I see you writing songs, and I see you leading worship. And it was more than that. It was, you know, 10 minutes long, but you get the idea. About nine months later, she comes back to church. She was from a, conf a conference. She's from a vineyard church in L.A. Maybe you know her. I don't know what her name is. She comes up and she says, do you remember me? I said, no. She prophesied over me. I said, no. Same thing. I don't remember. I, never, I can't even remember people's prophecies 20 minutes after I give them. I'm, honestly, that's how something wrong with me. But anyway, whatever. I have the mind of Christ. I'm receiving that for myself. She said, you prophesied over me. I, I said, I don't remember that. She said, you told me to shut up. I said, oh, I remember. I said, well, the girls are down about five. <laughs> she said, you, I said, oh, I remember. Yeah, your pastor brought you up. Yeah. And she said, 
I said, you pro I prophesied over you. You're going to play guitar? Yeah, and she, we were kind of interrupting each other. She said, yeah, sing songs and lead worship. She said, when I got home, within one month, I learned to play guitar. She says, I've, written, I've wrote several songs, and I lead worship on Sunday mornings in our 500-member Vineyard Church. What happened? She said, I can't hold a tune in a bucket. What did Grace do? Grace gave her the ability to not be tone deaf. Grace gave her ability to play guitar. I mean, it didn't, it, didn't, she didn't, it didn't teach her to play guitar. It gave her the ability to learn. Are you with me? All I'm getting at is what makes a prophecy a prophecy is that there's blue on the red. That when Jesus says it through you, it sounds like you. It looks like you. It, it feels like you. It, it, it has your personality. It, it, if you're funny, you're, it's funny. If you're serious, you're serious. But what makes it a prophecy is that there's blue on the red. Are you with me? And that's why I believe that Paul said, but especially that you would prophesy. Because when you prophesy, words become worlds. And you change people's destiny. You create things that are not, and you call them as though they are. I believe that you could change history through prophetic proclamations. I believe that Daniel changed Israel's history through prophetic proclamations. I believe that if Daniel wasn't with Nebuchadnezzar, if he wasn't in Babylon, which is you know, modern Iraq, if he wasn't there prophesying you know, 70 years, opening up the windows towards Jerusalem and prophesying, Israel still be in that bondage today. There's so Are you with me at all? There's something about, you know, if God can change a nation with the blue on the red, I mean, a person with blue on the red, why can't he change a nation? How many know that Nebuchadnezzar thought he had captured four young boys? But what he didn't realize is that they had captured him. And God said, I have the X factor in Iraq. You don't even know about it yet. And the Lord said, the book is not finished being written yet. Because when the author steps on the stage, the show is over. And I want to tell you that prophetic proclamations change history. And there's probably some old lady in Iraq who knows God. I could just imagine. How many of you know that in democracy we have this idea because we were born in democracy that majorities create tipping points? But it's not true. Majorities do not create tipping points. God doesn't need 10 million people to go to Washington, D.C. or Iraq or anybody else. All he needs is a person. And I can imagine some old lady, you know what? She may not even be able to have all her marbles in the bag yet. But she's laying on the floor someplace in Iraq, and she's doing what Daniel did, and she probably found the place he did it. And she's still prophesying, Lord, this is the 70th year. This is the 70th year. This is the 70th year. Do you understand what we're, that what we're creating here? We're creating the potential to change history. We're creating the potential to change your family's history, your children's history, your nation's history, your city's history. This is big. This isn't like, well, what do we do with our you know, prophetic teams in our church? I don't know. Get them to get along. Jesus couldn't even get his guys to get along. If you can do that, you have your first miracle and you've done greater works. How many of you know what I'm talking about? I mean, sometimes I feel like you've got to be a psychiatrist to lead a team. It's like... Dude, why can't you guys, like, all you need is love? I mean, the Beatles sang about it, and you guys can't even get that, you know? Let's, and I'm the worst, you know? <laughs> Peter's so funny. He's like, Lord, how many times do I have to forgive? Seven times? I'm like, what the heck? Why are you asking that question? You're the most offensive person in the Bible. <laughs> it's always the people who offend everyone who want to know how many times they have to forgive everybody. <laughs> have you figured that out? 
How many of you know, and pastors, come on, flow with me. Isn't it true that most of the people who are the most offensive in your church are the ones trying to figure out how many times they're going to have to like give in and sacrifice? Like, get a clue. Get a life. And don't you just want one day just want to say that to them? Like, I know you pastoral people are totally like, you're not flowing with me at all. I understand. You're like, I understand, Johnny. I'm like, get a life, dude. You're so offensive. You're a rock of stumbling. That's not a prophecy. It's a word of knowledge. <laughs> I don't say that. I'm much nicer. I'm like, you're a stone of offense. So the gift of prophecy is for edification, exhortation. <laughs> that, was, that, was a, that was really good timing, Lord. Thank you. <laughs> Couldn't have been worse timing. Five minutes from now, it would have been better. Anyway. It's not an award. You don't get it because you 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 got great character. That tells us two things. It tells us that just because people walk in power doesn't mean they have great character. True. And the second thing it tells us is the point I've been trying to make is that you don't have to have great character to move in power, because those two are actually not connected. I know. I know. All the pastoral people want them to be connected. If I was God, I wouldn't have done it that way. I said that to God one day. I said, if I was you, I wouldn't do that. He said, you're not. <laughs> so, okay, we cleared that right up, didn't we? You're God. I am the Son. You are the Father. Okay, we got that. Got that? The gift of prophecy. And <laughs> someone said, no. I know, you don't like it either, do you? It happens to be the truth. I can tell you crazy stories. I could tell you stories all night about some of my most powerful people in the early days. They had no character. You think I mean a little. I mean none. And they're doing these miracles and wonders, and people are flocking after them, and I have all the struggles that any of you would have. I'm like, why are people listening to that guy? I know that guy is totally not moral. And I'm not at him. I'm like, why did you give him a gift? He's like, why don't you just shut up and pastor the guy? I'm like, all right, don't talk to me like that. Okay, here I am. I got it. How long can you tread water? Let's go on. So, so prophecies for the gift of prophecy. When, I, when I'm over here, I'm talking about the gift of prophecy. The gift of prophecy for edification, exhortation, and comfort. I know this is really simple, but it's to build up, call near, and console people. That's the gift of prophecy. Okay? <laughs> Anyone can prophesy. First Corinthians 14.31 You can all prophesy one by one. Who can prophesy? Anyone. Anyone who receives Jesus can prophesy. You're supposed to earnestly desire it. Anyone who wants it can get it. If you ask for prophecy, you're not going to get a stone. How do you get it? You ask for it. Uh, does Jesus have to come and, and lead you? Someone says, well, I, I want the will of God. It's already written. This, this is like... Do I go to Africa? You might need to know the will of God for that. Do I need, do, do you want to personally give me the gift of prophecy? Already written. The answer, yes. Okay. Um, it's all mankind. We talked about this. Acts 2.17. Um, okay, now. Here's where we make a difference. The gift of prophecy is a gift. Everybody say, Gift. It is the ability to speak for God. 
It is something you do by the unction of the Holy Spirit. Very simple, I know. Okay, the office of a prophet is not a gift, but it is a call. Okay? I'm going to make a distinction in just a minute. There's three things. This is in your notes. There's three things that that make up a ministry. Your gift, your calling, and your anointing. It's already in your notes. You shouldn't have to take notes on this. You can look them up. Your gift, your, your gift, your calling, and your anointing. Your gift gives you your ability. This is in the notes already. Your gift gives you your ability. Your calling gives you your identity. And your anointing gives you your purpose. Let me say it one more time. Your gift gives you your ability. This is really important stuff right here because this has to do with identity stuff. Your gift gives you your ability. Your anointing, no, let's start over. Your calling gives you your identity, and your anointing gives you your purpose. Okay, now if you want to just look at some scriptures, you can. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul says, I'm called as an apostle. We'll talk more about that in a minute. 1 Peter 4.10, these are already in your notes. 1 Peter 4.10 says, As each of you has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good servants of the manifold grace of God. And then Isaiah 61, verse 1, talks about your anointing. And it says, the, the, um, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to preach the good news to the afflicted, to bind up the brokenhearted, speak release to captives, freedom prisoners, and so on and so forth. Now, let me, let me make a distinction. We'll slow down just a minute here. Your gift gives you your ability. Your, your calling gives you your identity. And your anointing gives you your purpose. Here's the struggle. If you get your identity from your gift, then you have a performance-based identity. Okay, now, here's where it gets started. It gets a little bit deeper. The gift of the Spirit, the gift of prophecy, is the ability to do something. Right? It gives me an ability. Got me? The office of a prophet is not a gift. It's a call. What's the difference? One is something I do. The other is something I am. You got me? If I get my identity from the gift of prophecy, I have a performance-based identity. What's going to happen if I can't perform? My identity is going to go in the toilet because my, my identity is based on something I do instead of something I am. Are you with me? So, a prophet, a prophetess, is not something you do. It's something you are. Okay? We'll talk more about that in a minute. Let me just go on to the, the anointing. Wherever you see the word anointing in the Bible, you're going to see something, you're going to see something to do. Because your anointing gives you your purpose. It, how many of you have met people, it doesn't even have to be spiritually, but you've met people, they're very talented people, very gifted people, people who have a, an incredible destiny. It might be your own children. And they are doing nothing with their life. They're rotting away in some place. And you're like, Mama Mia! That's a prophetic thing. That means your mama is mad at you. 
what, what's happened? See, the gifts and callings of God, Romans 11, are what? Irrevocable or without repentance. What's that mean? Once you receive a gift from God, whether it's a natural gift, whether it's a spiritual gift, God doesn't never take it back. That's one way we get false prophets, isn't it? God gives somebody a gift. He, he calls them as a prophet because the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. He calls them as a prophet. Maybe they come into their prophetic destiny for a season, then they walk away from God. What happened? The call remains. Now, the anointing's coming from the wrong kingdom. What is the anointing? The anointing is the presence of God. The Spirit of the Lord God is what? Come here, Dan, uh, come here, Dan for just a minute. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. He's upon me. When the Spirit of the Lord God gets upon me, I begin to feel my destiny come out. Why? Because th- the, when the Spirit is on me, He anoints me for a purpose. When I have lost purpose, I have lost relationship, relational context with the Holy Spirit. Let me say it again. If you don't know what you're supposed to be doing, if you wake up in the morning and you have no drive, let, let me just say it a little differently. Thank you. You wake up in the morning and you have no drive. We've all been through that. I, I, I bet you there's not a person in this room that hasn't had a season where you just don't feel like doing anything. I've certainly had that in my life. I've had those seasons in my life. What's the real problem? The real root problem. Now, there may be other symptoms and reasons, but the root problem is, is you've lost relational context with the Holy Spirit. I don't mean he's left your life in the sense that he's, you're, you're not saved or anything like that. I mean the presence, the anointing, the Holy Spirit's relational context with you, the relational context, the ongoing Holy Spirit, here I am, that relational context has been separated. And when it's, when it's severed in your life for a day, for an hour, for a week, for a year, however long it's severed, you can be the most gifted, called person in the world, but you have no motivation. Because motivation of the Spirit comes with relationship with the Spirit. And then you begin to create either, if it's long term, I'm not, you know, we've all had it for a day, a week, a, a month. But if it's long term, you begin to try to find other motivations in your life. Because if you've had the Holy Spirit anointing in your life, you're used to being motivated. And when, you've lived, when you start to live without it, if you don't know that it's because your relational contact with the Holy Spirit strained, you start to find other ways to try to falsely anoint you. You know what, you remember that 1 John, we'll talk about it sometime this week, but 1 John talks about the Antichrist. You'll notice that he didn't say anti-Jesus. There's a difference between Antichrist and anti-Jesus. There's a lot of people who are anti-Christ that are pro-Jesus. Christ means the anointing. And Paul said this, there is another Christ. There is another Jesus. What's my point? There are a lot of people who like a religious Jesus who can't rock their life. But when it comes to the anointing that breaks the yoke and changes history, they don't want that around them. Are you with me? Okay, you're a little quiet, so I don't know if you're thinking. I'm just trying to process. Are you, you've been here a long time. Is this like too much for one night? You need to give me good feedback because we've been sitting here a long time. So I just have a lot of stuff that we need to do this week. So you guys are all right still? Okay. So, Isaiah 61, the, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me. So, there's a gifting, 
a calling and anointing. Very simply, gift is ability, calling is identity, anointing is purpose. Pretty simple. Okay, now, now we're talking about the difference. Gift of prophecy, gift. You, something you do. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, and saint. There's actually not a five-fold ministry. There's actually a six-fold ministry. I've never said that before, but it is the truth. There's really not a five-fold ministry. There's a six-fold ministry. Because the saints are actually doing the ministry, and the five-fold ministry is equipping the last people to do it, which are the saints. Okay, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, pastor, and the uh, and teachers and the saints is a calling. It's not something I do. It's something I am. I get my identity from it. Now, let's just read that in just a second here. Ephesians chapter 4, you guys know these verses probably pretty well. Everybody that's come here probably knows these verses. I love the book of Ephesians. Um, it was one of, it is, uh, one of Bill's favorite books. So all the years that we were growing up, I, I bet you I've heard Bill teach out of this book. I don't know. I wouldn't be exaggerating. i say 100 times. I bet you it's 200 times in 30 years. Um, let's just go right to chapter 4, verse 7. To each one of us grace, everybody say grace, grace. was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Verse 8, therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now let's just stop for a minute and say, what is Paul talking about? He wants you to know that Christ gave gifts to men. To each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Got me? Okay, there is no New Testament yet, so what's he going to validate his, his thesis with? The only thing that's written, the Old Testament. So he grabs a verse out of the Old Testament which says, when he ascended on high... He led captive a host of captives, and what did he do? He gave gifts to men. What, what part of the verse does he really need? He gave gifts to men. Because he's about to tell you that he gave gifts to men, and that those gifts are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Right? The only problem with the text that he chose is it doesn't say Jesus gave gifts to men. It says he. He gave gifts to men. And so now he has to validate that the person who gave gifts to men was Jesus. He used an Old, Co covenant, I mean, Old Testament scripture to make the point that Jesus gave gifts to men. Then he realizes that it doesn't really say Jesus there. So he has to tell you that, verse 9, this expression, he, what does it mean except for he also descended in the lower parts of the earth. He descended, he who descended is himself also who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. What's he saying there? He's just saying, listen, Jesus, Christ, gave gifts to men. To each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And then he takes the Old Testament scripture and says, look, it says, he gave gifts to men. And then he goes, oh yeah, you might not know that he is Jesus. So he explains that he is the one, he is the one who ascended. The one who descended is also the one who ascended. All he's, going is, all he's saying is, listen, this really is Jesus that I'm quoting here. It is Christ who gave gifts to men. And then he goes on to go say this. And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up the body of Christ. Listen to this. Until. How long did he give apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers? Until. 
until we all attain to the unity of faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the statute which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Now, what is the result of the fivefold ministry? Well, verse 14, as a result. We are no longer to be children. Okay, so what's the first, what's the first measurement of true fivefold ministry? We're no longer children. Now, he's not talking about children in the way Jesus said that he wants you to be like a child. He's talking about immature. He, we're no longer immature. We're never, we're longer children tossed here and there by every wave and carried about by every wind of doctrine by the tricky, trickery of men or craftiness and deceitful scheming. What is he saying? True fivefold ministry keeps people safe. It keeps them safe from false doctrine. It keeps them safe from people who would be destructive in their life. It keeps them safe from people who have schemes against you. What's the next verse say? But, but instead of that, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects uh, into him. What are we growing up into? We're, not, we're growing up into him. That's why we're called Christians, little Christ, who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, listen to this, which causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Let me stop right there and say this. What is the manifestation that you have true fivefold ministry in your body? It isn't that you have prophecies and that you have evangelism. It isn't that you people are cared for or that you have a good preacher or that you're a sense of destiny. The true result of true fivefold ministry is that people learn to build up themselves in love. You go, well, of course. Uh, no, no, you didn't get that. It means they don't need the church counselor because you have so equipped them that, like the Crocodile Dundee movie, they have mates. They don't just have friends. They have people who are equipped for every good work in Christ Jesus. So they don't need everyone to funnel back to the office for help because everybody in the church is equipped. Listen, Jesus said this in his day, the, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Thank God that that's no longer true. Because what's true now is the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are plentiful. Because now everyone who gets saved, get this, first I'm a harvest and Barbara gets saved and what happens immediately after she gets saved? She becomes a saint who's being equipped to do what she just had done to her. So guess what I'm doing? Every time someone gets saved, I'm reproducing a larger army. So the harvest and the laborers are growing at the same time. That's why Jesus said greater works will you do. One of the reasons that we would do greater works is because Jesus was trying to get everybody touched with 12 or with 70. But now he has a multi-million man and woman army. Are you guys all right? Or are you? See, the goal of fivefold ministry isn't that you would do the work, it's that they would do the work. The goal of a prophet isn't that if you need a prophecy, come to Chris. Oh my goodness, that is a bad dream. No, no, no. I don't even want that to happen. See, my purpose as a prophet is not to prophesy. That's not my first, that is not my first ministry. My first ministry is equipping the saints. And my purpose 
what I give the saints is eyes to see and ears to hear. If they need to come to me every time they need to hear from God, then I am not a good prophet. I don't mean I'm a false prophet, I just mean I'm a bad one. Because my job is to produce people who can reproduce. And what is the ultimate what is the ultimate sign of a healthy ecosystem that has the fivefold ministry? The people build up the people. If the fivefold ministry is having to build up the people, either it's an immature fivefold ministry or it's not available. Listen, let me just say this. One of the ways that prophets become false is they lead people to themselves instead of to Christ. I'm going to tell you that there is as many false counselors as there is false prophets. There are as many false teachers as there is false prophets. There are counselors who need so bad to be needed that they give people a fish instead of teach them how to fish. And next time you, need a, you have a problem, you have to go back to the counselor because you have no idea how the counselor fixed you. It's like some kind of secret of the trade. It's like a recipe in an expensive restaurant. Like you can eat it, but if you want it again, you got to come back. And anytime you're leading people to yourself, anytime you become the answer, that's false ministry. Are you getting this? The goal is that, listen, if somebody is whatever, let's say that they're, um, I don't know, there's so many. Let's say they're demonized. I can cast a demon out or... I can take the person through the process of the way I'm thinking about how they got demonized in the first place because the demon in a Christian's life is never the problem, it's always the symptom. So I can cast the demon out and go, whoo, they go, whoo, freedom. And then guess what? Six months later, where are they? Back. Why? Because they have no idea, you know, wherever there's doo-doo, there's flies. You can have a full-time fly swatter ministry or you can get rid of the doo-doo. How many know that every ministry needs a pooper scooper ministry? Because people get their stuff all over themselves and they need to be cleaned up. But listen, at some point you stop changing diapers and you say it's time to be, I don't know, potty trained. I hope I'm not being too gross, but it's time to be potty trained. It's like you're getting that stuff on you. Come on, this is like learn how to flush, baby, because that is not working for you. And you teach people how to get rid of stuff that hasn't nourished them. How many of you know that every day you eat things, and I won't get graphic here, but every day you eat things, and what passes through your system are the things that did not nourish your body. And I would imagine that you have that happen every so often, hopefully. I don't know why, spiritually, we expect that everything that we take in helps us. It's like, no, it doesn't always help us, but you don't have to be like, oh, I, was a, I'm, I, I am, I'm broken forever because someone gave me a bad word. Oh, come on, get a life. Just flush. <laughs> I mean, in Jerusalem, there's a refuge gate. There's a place where the garbage goes. How many of you know, you know, I was on an island. Uh, I, I got a chance to uh, see the president. The Lord told me I was going to visit presidents was one of the words he gave me. You are going to speak to presidents. And I'm like, awesome. Three years ago, I got to speak to the president of the smallest country in the world. <laughs> yeah, a country called Tarawa. It's a true story. Yep. <laughs> Woohoo! First president. President of a little island. And, this, and on this island, they refused. Their, I don't know if you know this, but like in the islands in the Pacific, where do they get rid of their garbage? Because the islands are volcanic. You can't even dig a hole in the ground to dump them. 
So they have these garbage ships that come by and they pick up the garbage from all these little islands. Well, this island decided that that would cost too much money. So for years, they've never had a garbage pickup and the island, this this beautiful paradise, is covered, is literally, as far as you can see, garbage stacked up six feet high on all the beaches. I've seen Christians like that. I was thinking about when I was on the island, I'm like, some Christians are just like this. They are so fragile. Like they have no waste system. It's like something, somebody says something to them 15 years ago. They're still carrying it. Oh, you broke my life. I, got up, I was in the shepherding movement. I still feel controlled. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Come on. Maybe you're one of those people. I'm not trying to offend you. I'm just like, like grow up. It's like you, are, you're, you were built to be more resilient, resilient than that. You're not that fragile. Counselors that need to be needed want you to be that fragile, but you are not that fragile. I'm not saying, well, you don't need counseling. You know, I'm, no, no, I'm, I'm just saying, come on. It's like, grow up. It's like, you know, something 20 years ago is still affecting you. It's you. Oh, no. And all the pastors are going, oh, can you say that so much more nicer? I can. It's your problem. So my point is this, is that develop a refuge gate in your life. Jesus touched lepers, and he didn't get leprosy. They got clean. You know, there's a lot of people like, the devil's chasing me. Like, how could he be that stupid? Because he's been disarmed and defeated. If, he's, if he was in your swimming pool, his name be Bob. <laughs> Matthew 20, what did Jesus say? All authority in heaven and on earth. That means you're running from someone who has no authority. Listen, if Jesus has all authority, that would mean someone has none. Think about this. Like, if I had all the chocolate cake, that means someone has none. Do you understand you're writing from someone who has no authority? If he, has no, if he has no authority and you have all authority, how does he get any? You give it to him. How do you, get, how do you give it to him? Believe him. How do you know if you believe him? You fear him. Fear is a manifestation that you believe in the wrong guy. What's the manifestation that you believe in God? You have love, joy, peace, patience, faithfulness, righteousness, and self-control. What's the, what's the manifestation that you believe in the wrong God? You have torment, fear, discouragement, fatigue. What's it mean? It's a manifestation of the fruit of the wrong spirit. You believe, you receive. How many know that the whole world, the whole spirit world works by faith? Not just the kingdom. The whole spirit world works by faith. You know what? I can tell you that most Christians believe more in curses than they do in blessings. I've watched witches come in the church and curse Christians, and Christians freak out. They're cursing us. So? I mean, you don't get that excited when I'm blessing you. They're still concerned, like, someone's cursing me. Bless those who curse you. What do I do? Ah, I see people, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Man, they have walls against that stuff. Just go give them a hug. What's a witch? It's a person. It's a person who Jesus died for. Jesus loves these people. They don't know what to do when you bless them when they're cursing you. But what happens when you're afraid? You act out of fear, and what do they do? It validates that they have power over you, because when you fear them, it means you believe in them. I've had a guy walk around going like this to me. I'm like. (laughs) 
I'm like, dude, what is your problem? Get a life, dude. Trying to be scary? Woohoo! You know why they try to be scary? Do you know why people that are in the occult dress to be scary? Because scary is a sign that you have faith in them. But you know what happens when you have peace? It's what? Philippians 1. You're not alarmed by your opponent, which is a sign of destruction for him and salvation for you. You know one of the greatest weapons of warfare is peace. Oh, it's just you. Oh, I thought it was somebody important. I don't know if you got that. You know you can fast for a breakthrough, but I, 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 I prefer to feast. He sets a table before me in the presence. I can always think of a scripture to eat by. I'm fasting for a breakthrough. I'm feasting for one. Watch me eat with the Lord. Man, there's demons after me. Let's have dinner. I don't know if you got all that. The devil's taken over our city. Well, that's funny, because you're supposed to be discipling nations. So that's not a commentary on the devil. It's a commentary on your poor discipleship. <laughs> Only reason the, the, the enemy can disciple anyone's city is if you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, because two people can't sit on the same throne. <laughs> that's a good word right there. Okay, we should probably talk about this prophet thing, though. You guys got me off the subject. So what are the prophets for? Okay, the office of a prophet is something I am. It's not something I do. Let me just give you a couple of more things. It's not something I ask for. It's something God chooses. Jesus said to his 12 apostles, you didn't choose me, I chose you. Over here, I'm commanded to earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Well, I don't have to get the prophecy. I just want to know what Jesus wants me to do. He wants you to desire spiritual gifts. <laughs> it's already written. Well, I don't know if he wants me to have to get the prophecy. Earnestly desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you would prophesy. All answered. Prophet. I want to be a prophet. Well, that's your problem. <laughs> it's not your choice. God's choice. God chooses who you will be. Your identity is in his hands. It's not in your hands. I would like to be an apostle. Me too. Because then I could be in charge of Bethel instead of being the number two guy, which always bothers me. <laughs> Actually born to be the king of the world, and now I'm the assistant to the king of the world, which is always troubling. But anyway, the point is, <laughs> I'm mostly teasing. Anyway, let's move on. <laughs> Isn't it just like God to give the guy, make the guy in charge who doesn't care if he like, is in charge of anybody? Bill Johnson. I don't care if I lead anybody. This is kind of a funny story. I'll just kind of reveal the way our interaction works. I had this um, encounter with God. This is like three, four months ago. We were, we were having a staff meeting, and the night before staffing, I'm laying awake, and I have this encounter with God. And God says, I'm going to make you a household name. I said, that's awesome. Woohoo! I'm going to be famous. People are going to know about me. I won't call my mom. 12 o'clock at night. Next morning, we have staff meeting at my house. At my house, right? We have them twice a year. Bill, Bill's going to do the first hour. I'm going to do the second hour. This is Bill's opening statement. I don't care to be a household name. 
His second statement, I don't care if anyone ever knows me on earth. I said, crap. <laughs> I'm sitting right next to him. He looks over at me and I said, the Lord just said, I'm going to make you a household name. I didn't know it was a test. I thought it was a promise. <laughs> I mean, he ought to say, this is just a test. I'm testing your character. I thought he was a promise. You can imagine what our interaction looks like 30 years of this. Poor Bill, he's like, he just looks at me and he goes. Bill's the holy man. I'm like the semi-holy man. <laughs> Whatever. Okay, so the office of a prophet is not something I do. It's something I am. It's not my... It's not my desire. I, 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 you can want to be a prophet to your purpose. It's not going to make you a prophet. It's not going to make you an apostle. It's God's choosing. God chooses his own prophets. God chooses his own apostles. God chooses his own pastors. Da-da-da. You know, in the old uh, denominational mindset, you go to college, you, get, you go to seminary, you get a degree, therefore I are a pastor. I want to tell you that that denominationalism is dead. I don't care what it says above your door of your church. I just care what it says above your heart. God is not anointing people through performance-based culture. I don't know if you got what I just said. Think about this. If you go to seminary and you get a degree and therefore you are a pastor, it means that you have a performance-based leadership. What's the problem with that? Well, if you got leadership if you became the leader of your ministry because you performed to get it, what is the problem with that? Well, you create a core value that anyone who outperforms you gets sabotaged in your ministry because you're the leader, not because you're called, but because you were the best performer. Which creates a culture where you sabotage anybody who starts to outgrow you. <laughs> but if I are a pastor because I are called, not because I performed. Guess what? You can outgrow me and it doesn't make me insecure because you didn't give me this job and you can't take it away. Which means that I could create a culture where you can outgrow me and I can feel totally secure. As a matter of fact, I can start measuring my success by your success. Because if, it's, if, if I'm the coach rather than the players, then I measure my success by how many games we win, not by how many points I score, because I'm not supposed to score points anyway. I'm coaching the team. Man, that's a good word right there. Okay, a couple of things. Let me just say this. If you were a prophet, a po we're talking about the whole fivefold ministry. I'm going to use a prophet because this is school of prophets, but this affects every, every call in our life. Every call. Everybody say call. Every call in our life, every identity in our life. If I'm a prophet, if I'm called to be a prophet, it affects the way I see life. It affects the way I see the world. Because it's not something I do, it's something I am. Okay? Let me give you an example I've given many times. When the Twin Towers fell, what were the evangelists concerned about? A true evangelist 
What was he thinking when the, when the twin towers fell? As they fell, what did he naturally think or she naturally thought? I don't mean something they had to think about a day later. What were they thinking as they watched the towers fall? There are people in there who are lost for eternity. What were pastors thinking as the towers fell? There are people in there who did not deserve this, that love God and who should have been spared this disaster. They love the people. What were the teachers thinking? I wonder how this applies to the scriptures. Like, this is the end time thing? Or what does the Bible say about this? That's how teachers naturally relate to all of the circumstances of life. They go, what does the Bible say about this? When Bill was teaching today, I was watching the wheels turn. I could feel it. You know, the prophetic people are like, whoa, this is awesome. The teachers are like, he hasn't quoted a scripture in 20 minutes. <laughs> They're like, very uncomfortable. I mean, people can make theologically accurate statements, but teachers are very, I don't mean they can't get through it, but they are very uncomfortable with somebody not mixing scriptures in with their statements. Very uncomfortable because a teacher thinks how does what this man's saying relate to the Bible? They've always got this measuring stick going on. So if you're a teacher, you are naturally doing that. You're naturally like, I'm going to go home and search this out for myself. You're, you're like the, the Bereans. You're like, we're going to go home and search this out and make sure what he said was true. And what you mean by true is in the Bible. That's how you think. What does an apostle think? How does this affect our ability to change the world? These twin towers falling. Like, how is this going to affect our world our world impact. What does a prophet think? I'll tell you what a prophet thinks. Naturally, what does God think about this? A prophet wants to know what God thinks about this. He doesn't, he does not, I was going to say, he doesn't care about the people. Oh yeah, we're just hard-hearted. His first response isn't, oh, there's people who are going to hell in there. Of course, he better have a heart for lost people. His first response isn't, you know, his, he's tied to eternity. So he's looking from eternity and he's thinking, what does God want to say about this? What does God say about this? I'm God's voice for this. What does God say about this? Are you with me? So it isn't, a prophet isn't something I do. I can't make that happen. It's something I am. When I meet people, I can tell you this. I, I don't, it's not even in my conscious level. Listen, what I'm telling you, you could try to manufacture. And you could manufacture this. But this is not This is below the conscious level. When I see somebody, anybody, anytime, I sit with anybody. I can be in a store. I can sit down with them. Below the conscious level, I will find myself thinking, what does God want to say to these people? It's, I'm just wired like that. It's like, I'm always thinking, what is the voice of God for this person? I don't always get it. I, I don't mean I always I know what God wants to say to her. I'm just telling you the way. I'm not talking about what I think. I'm talking about the way that I think. What does God want to say to that person? What is God saying to that person? What does God say in this circumstance? That's the way I think. It doesn't have to be logical. See, the other, the other struggle that, that prophets have relating to some of the other fivefold ministry, and obviously with the saints, is that what God says isn't always logical. I don't mean that prophets are stupid, or they, they can't be scientists or mathematicians or anything. I'm talking about in their calling. So when the prophet, you know, when Ezekiel meets God, and God goes, can these bones live? I mean, Ezekiel's smart enough to know, God, okay, let me tell you, the, the science says no. 
The medical community says no. The facts say no, but he doesn't say that to God. He goes, you know. Why? Because the prophet does not have to, God, the prophet doesn't have a logical relationship with God. Listen, you got to get this. This is really important, and I've never said this before, that I can remember at least. The prophet does not have a logical relationship with God. Now, it's logical from God's perspective, but it's not logical when you examine it from earth. Because the prophet is asked by God to do things that although God has a really good purpose for them, they may, the prophet may not know. Listen, let me, let me back up and tell you what I'm trying to say. I believe that although things that God does often seem completely illogical, I believe that they are the most brilliant strategy in human history and that God does have a reason for them. But that the reason is often timeless, meaning that God from eternity goes, okay, this may not make sense in the next 100 years, but if you were standing over here in eternity, it would make perfect sense to you because I make decisions based on eternity. Follow me? So I want to say that God is brilliant and God does not do something for no reason. But all I'm getting at is that sometimes from earth, it seems that way. And sometimes the things that God would ask a prophet to do don't make sense. So the prophet learns to have what seems to be an illogical relationship with God. Do I think it's really illogical? No, I don't. I honestly don't. But I do think that it looks illogical often from earth's perspective that some of the things that God asks you to do are totally illogical. Now, the teacher doesn't have that dynamic with God, at least not very often. I don't mean that they don't have a relationship with God, just says obey. I'm saying that the gift of who they are to, to the body is, tends to be line upon line, precept upon precept, here, there, a little. And, and the, and the, and the a teacher is, is, is blessed with being able to take complicated things and make them simple and give them to the body. The prophet can take simple things and make them complicated and give them to the body. How many of you have flown with what I'm talking about? Like sometimes we make things so complicated because the truth is, is that we don't have necessarily a logical... Listen, we may, because we're saints and we're prophets, because all of us are saints, right, and prophets, the saint side of us has a logical relationship with God often. So I, I, listen, I, I have a struggle with you if everything that you do is illogical. Let me just be totally honest. I'm only describing a piece of our life. But the piece of my life that is a prophet doesn't necessarily have a logical relationship with God. And I get accustomed to that piece so that I flow with God in a way that when God goes, can these bones live? I know that when God's speaking to me out of my prophetic gift. No, start over because I'm making a distinction. Out of my prophet gift, when God says, can these bones live? I know that he is not asking me to analyze the facts, but he's asking me to analyze the truth. And how many know the truth always overrides the facts? It is not logical from, from Earth's perspective that someone has a tumor on their, you know, a five, you know they have a four, level four, whatever they call it, you know, stage four tumor, and they're going to die. And all the, the medical community says, listen, you know, uh, 99 out of, nine, nine, 99, nine million out of a million people, you know, die from this. And like, there's a one tenth thousand chance this person's going to live. I know... I'm talking about the medical community. He says, these are the facts. I understand that God, when I pray for someone, God's not asking me to repeat the facts. I know that he's not mad at the doctors for telling me what the laws of nature say. But I have to re realize that God's truth overrides the facts. 
So when God goes, can this person live? I'm like, okay, God, I mean, you, do you want the facts? Let me repeat the facts to you. The answer to that question would be no. But I have a relationship with God where God says, listen, I'm not asking you to be logical on this dimension. I'm asking you to put on the mind of Christ and look from my perspective. Like, okay, well, in that case, all things are possible with God. So I have this dimension to who I am that I have this relationship with God in which a big piece of my life, or at least a piece of my life, isn't logical. So when God says, I want you to prophesy this, I realize that what I'm speaking is going to make the teachers crazy because the teachers go, well, and there's 48 reasons why that can't happen. I'm like, I know all those reasons. I'm not stupid. God said, say this. And so I have to say this because if I don't, it won't happen. Are, are we getting this? Okay, now are we starting to get tired? Because you have been there a while. Okay, some of you are saying yes. So let's, let's start to wind this down. The gift of prophecy is for everyone. The office of a prophet is a call God on our lives. God's choice. You can't ask for it. What you can do is walk it out once God puts it on you. We're going to talk, we have all week long to talk about how do you get it, how do you know if you are one, how do you know if you're not one, so on and so forth. Um, where do you start? How do you grow? I mean, those are all questions. Those are good. I mean, I wish, I'm going to tell you something. What we're doing here, these, this, this school is designed around what I was thinking about in the bathroom more than 20 years ago. I want to tell you that. All I did was sit down and think. When God said, history will tell us if you believe me. If there was some place I could have went like this, where somebody who was ahead of me could have sat me down and said, listen, this is a yes, this is a maybe, this is a no, this is a good, this is a bad, this is an ugly. This works, this doesn't work, watch out for that, do this more often. I'm just talking about, that, that's what we're doing here. And the other thing that we're doing here that's really important that I've said to you, but I want you to just know this is my heart, is we're building a prophetic community because prophetic people get isolated. They get isolated, and there's lots and lots of reasons. We'll talk about some of them, but they get isolated. They feel rejected. They feel alone. They start to process by themselves. And listen, when you isolate a prophet, it is not like isolating a pastor. When you isolate a guy or a gal that has a third of their relationship with God, illogical, that is dangerous. Because you can step over the illogical path and all of your life becomes illogical and you can validate it and it gets really weird. And I can't tell you how many really weird prophets and prophetesses and also prophetic people who don't necessarily have the office, but they move really smoothly and powerfully in prophetic ministry. They get really weird because instead of a small piece of their life being illogical, see how I stepped off of that when I fell? <laughs> so I just made it look like I did it on purpose. Well, instead of a small piece of their life being illogical, their whole life becomes illogical. And that gets really dangerous. And so what prophetic, one of the things that prophetic people need is they need other prophetic people to give them really honest, good feedback. Like, Johnny, you're crazy. 
By the way, your last 10 illogical prophecies, none of them happen. Johnny, you're off track. Something's not right. And by the way, your family doesn't look very happy. And the prophecy, the prophetic movement of the last days is restoring hearts of fathers to children and children to fathers. So if you don't have, if you're a prophet and your family is screwed up, you don't have a New Testament prophet ministry because your first ministry is to your family. And if you don't have sons coming home and fathers returning and mothers and daughters, then you are not manifesting New Covenant, New Testament prophet, prophet's ministry. And before you can practice on anyone else, you need to kind of like make sure it works at home. But you, unless you're part of a prophetic community, you don't have people who will tell you that most often. You're out there on some island where you can super spiritualize everything and your pastor's all, hey, you know, I don't think your, your family relationship's right. And you're like, well, I saw three little blue angels and, 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 and a cherubim landed on my front lawn and, and God spoke to me as if that somehow validates that your family's screwed up. Are you with me? I don't care what your visitations are like if you don't have good visitations with your kids. You know, if, you, if your boss doesn't think you're a saint, I don't want you to prophesy in our church. If you don't have no credibility at work, I don't know that you're ready to govern anybody. You know, this is really simple. Like, if you experiment at home and all your experiments fail, don't come and be a scientist with our people. It's pretty simple. You create a widget and you're trying to sell it to everyone, but you haven't made one work yet? It's not a good plan. And what happens with prophetic people with, that, they don't, that there's not prophetic communities is these prophetic people, they get rose up because angels see, the, you know, they see angels and all this stuff happens. And I'm not saying they don't. I'm saying for, let's pretend for a minute that, they're all, that it's all true. Angels don't change your character. Selah. Cherubims don't make you have great character. They don't fix your family. Well, they may release you from prison, but you go home. This is deep. So what we want is not to raise up prophets and prophetesses. We want to raise up prophetic communities, schools of the prophet where people make relational connections, where, people, where there's accountability, there's relational context, and there's, covenant, there's a covenant community. That's why we're having dinners at night. It's not so my wife can work harder. It's so that you can sit your buns down with someone else who has the same call in their life and talk over the table with people who feel like they have the same call as you do. So I want you to come to the dinners, and there's only one more, I think, but that's the reason for them. So that you can start to build a relational context in your life. Hopefully you'll get some phone numbers from people who you build a relationship with because you're experiencing things together. And you start to like, hey, I'm going to call Johnny because I'm having these things happen to me. And you start to like, you start to be part of the body who's building up itself in love instead of like, let's call Chris. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. To stay connected, you can sign up for my weekly newsletter at chrisvalentin.com forward slash subscribe. God bless you.